The Cult-Worthy Classic, a cinema podcast dedicated to obscure films and cult classics made before 1970. Join me, Antonio Palacios, weekly on all listening platforms or at thecultworthy.com. The Cult-Worthy Classic, we're bringing the classics back. Avengers! Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I am your host, Josh Scar, and of the Smackheads, I am flying solo this week, but I have a very special guest, one Aaron Alice from the Watching Stuff podcast. Aaron, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm fin- I'm grateful that we could finally connect because I know we've been talking about it for a few weeks now. Yeah, I reached out with the Black Panther review. I think is like, hey randomly reaching out to this person I've never really interacted with <laughs> except for like random Packer tweets that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about this movie? And you're like, um, not this time, but maybe next time. Right. Cause ironically I was going to see the Packers that weekend. So I was out of town. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, so here we are. <laughs> here we are. We are at next time. So you, you are a very busy person. You have a, quite a few podcasts out there. So please tell us about a few of them or all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am currently on three podcasts, although one with the football season it's done with, um, that's on brand and off topic, kind of a really sports ish podcast, very uncensored, um, with two guys, Jimmy and Todd, who are just kind of wild. And I just kind of reel them in and kind of lead, lead the show on. And, uh, I also have last call Lambo um, over at game on Wisconsin. That is, just basically the three of us drinking, playing some drinking games, and it's all themed around, you know, the the Packers and, and their games for the week. But we will be running through the offseason. And then I have what connected us, kind of what really um, pushed us together, like you said, is watching stuff. Um, because I'm very new to uh, – it started with my my – welcome i guess into the mcu like last year i think i started it no no two years ago and i got really into it and started asking uh dusty evely and monty moore some questions to guys i know on twitter through packers twitter and we all just kind of were like what if we like started talking about this and maybe people would be interested because they have much more of a comic background than i do i am just an mcu person so we started recording it and next thing you knew a friend of mine, Dan, wanted to talk Star Wars. So one week it's Star Wars, the next week it's MCU. So I guess I just uh, like to hear myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? That's why we're in podcasting. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I love hearing your perspective on things, uh, how you're newer to everything. So you're just kind of getting a lesson while coming along and offering up some some of your own takes. And it's it's a lot of fun. And like I, I really enjoyed your tweets uh, about like the Packers, which I think like Aaron Nagler had retweeted you a few times like mm-hmm. oh she seems like an interesting person let's follow her on twitter <laughs> and then you started doing some like nerd uh watch along tweets 
And it's like, oh, she's also doing these sort of things. Like that's makes that makes her even more fun. Let's let's reach <laughs> out and see see if we can't be online friends. Yeah. Actually, funny you say that. Aaron Nagler is going to be on um one of our uh Star Wars watch and stuff episodes upcoming. Awesome. That's yeah, so cool. So yeah, I think Attack of the Clones is is the one he wanted to be on. Ooh. Because he he wanted to talk about how he thinks it's the worst Star Wars movie. So it'll be a fun one. <laughs> He was doing a Star Wars podcast with Olive, I believe, mm-hmm. but I kind of fell off that one or they stopped producing episodes. I can't remember what happened. I uh, think they I thought, stopped. I was enjoying that because I liked, again, similar to you, I, I liked all of his opinions having like just recently gone through all these, but tell him I said hi and I love his work. <laughs> will do. Will do. <laughs> so we're here to talk about Ant-Man Mania. And we will do that right after we hear from our friend Antonio Palacios at the Cult Worthy Podcast. We'll be right back. The Cult Worthy Podcast. Join me, Antonio Palacios, each week as I guide you through a never-ending sea of obscure cinema and cult-worthy gems that deserve a rediscovery. Find me on all listening platforms and at thecultworthy.com. The Cult Worthy Podcast. Join us. And we're back. I am here again with Aaron Alice from the Watch and Stuff podcast, among many other podcasts. <laughs> and we're here to talk Quantumania, the newest entry into the MCU. And uh, the trailers just kind of they, they set up the movie pretty well <laughs> yeah. as far as like what to expect. But you can't really talk about this movie without getting into spoilers. So I think we're just going to jump straight into spoiler territory. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just uh, at Talking Smack, we have. Two ratings. We have must see or pass. There's no nuance to it. It's do you recommend it or do you say Ooh. don't worry? So if you had to give it a, a must see or a pass, we're just going to dive straight into it. What would you give it, Aaron? Can I give an explanation? Of course. <laughs> okay. So I, I definitely feel like it's a must see. And that is strictly because there's just too much that's going to be happening in the future that I feel like is is going to be relevant, that you need to see it for those purposes. That's purely it. And it is honestly goes down to even the end credit scenes that maybe you just even need those. <laughs> and then maybe the other, like the rest of the movie, maybe not super relevant. Cause nothing. Yeah, maybe, really maybe there's something with Cassie or who knows, but um, I I'm kind of in the same boat. I think it's a must see if you're an MCU fan, if you're not, I think it can still be somewhat approachable. Although the first 20 minutes of the movie before they go into the quantum realm, it kind of does rely on your knowledge of previous MCU entries. Mm-hmm. But overall, I, I think it is somewhat approachable. I don't know if it's something you would come out being like, yeah, let's watch more of this stuff. Mm. I think it's very much of even a movie that I, I wouldn't necessarily jump to watch it again. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think there are too many post Endgame marvel movies that i'm like itching to see again like shang chi is one that i've I've really enjoyed Mm -hmm. obviously no way home Mm -hmm. and then maybe multiverse of madness Mm -hmm. but a lot of these are kind of like one and done sort of things um like Mm -hmm. maybe maybe a refresher going into whatever the next big thing is going to be but that's two years away because uh the kang dynasty is 2025 Mm -hmm. and we got a year and a half more of these movies to go through plus tv shows (laughs) Yeah, so they're they're making us do some homework. I did rewatch Loki, which did help ahead of this because I was like, oh, we 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 just me and my boyfriend just watched it. 
like last week, we kind of started going through it. And that was really helpful in certain ways because you get introduced to Kang a little bit and um, just kind of refresher, but not necessary. But it was it was kind of nice to pick up where Kang left us. I had had the thought of watching the last two episodes of Loki just to kind of refresh myself on He Who Remains and uh, Jonathan Major's take on the character, which I mean, to to Jonathan Major's credit, he is taking each variant of Kang in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the way he was speaking in this one, I was like, oh, I hope that's really not the Kang voice, because I thought he was a lot more charismatic in Loki. And then we get the the first post credit scene like, oh, OK, yeah, there there's different takes happening here. Yeah, that was, I think which is sad. Maybe the most exciting part of that movie was that mid credit. Um, the, I mean the, the end credit was also great, but that the mid credit was really exciting to see in my opinion. <laughs> Getting into the movie a little bit. Uh, I, I would describe it kind of as Tron legacy meets rise of Skywalker, maybe a little bit of the last Jedi. Uh, Cause we're telling like separate stories that eventually converge, like what they happened in the last Jedi. Uh, where you've got the gang split up between Hope, Hank, and Janet, and you have Scott and Cassie doing their own thing, and eventually their their storylines cross once they're in the, the quantum realm. But it, it does feel like there's two different movies happening here, like Scott and Cassie are in a Marvel movie, and the, the Van Dyne Pym family is in a weird Star Wars Tron mashup. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Alex, uh, he wanted to be here, but he was he's like, I I hated this movie. I really think I'd be a downer (laughs) for this. Um, I might make him angry with this comparison. But after he 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 went off about the Bill Murray scene Mm -hmm. and uh, that reminded me a lot of the the Tron legacy scene with Michael Sheen, where I don't know if you remember, it's the scene where Daft Punk makes their cameos and uh, he's basically just stalling the protagonists so that the bad guys can come and ambush them. Mm -hmm. It was like almost beat for beat that scene just minus the the killer soundtrack (laughs) yeah i mean and and it's it's marvel's getting to this point where they just like are paying big actors to come in just so hoping people will see the movie because we saw bill murray in the trailer so i feel like they're just at this point where some stuff is getting a little lazy and i i was a little surprised in the direction of even it just being a heavy janet movie i wasn't expecting that either which oh, she was driving great, me crazy in this but movie. i didn't yeah i i do love michelle pfeiffer but i was like what is this <laughs> what are we doing here but i, I don't know it, it felt very much my comparison was it just felt very much like Ant man and the wasp like we have a beginning a middle and an end and there's like an arc and there's a couple of different villains kind of happening all at the same time and there's people making up i guess and like people that are bad turning good it just it reminded me very much of that movie where i was like not memorable but i don't i don't hate it i know a lot of people did because it's like currently tied with the eternals on rotten tomatoes which is appalling to me because that movie i still have no idea what the hell i watched when i watched (laughs) that movie i have no clue what happened but i know exactly what happened in ant-man in quantumania so I, I don't understand that comparison. I didn't think it was that bad, but I think it was the marketing that really, I don't know, dragged it down. Yeah, I, I think the, what's dragging down the, the Rotten Tomato score more than anything is the fact that it is very much a movie where Marvel's just like, if you don't know what's happening, sorry. And critics just don't like that TV's, TV series kind of storytelling that Marvel's gotten themselves into. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh 
I, I don't think it's as bad as the score indicates. I think it's just there are some like middling to negative reviews that Rotten Tomato is skewed more negative. But it, it's not as bad as the score lets it out to be. I think Agreed. it's probably lower third MCU stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely not as bad as the score makes it out to be. Totally agree. Let's see here. I got some notes. Uh, so let's let's start with this point. Thinking back on the movie, do you think there were any there was any real character development besides like Janet? Kind of even a little bit. I don't feel no. like anyone had a character arc, which is why I think, again, the, the critic score might be a little more uh, tough on this movie is because there's no real growth anywhere. Like the first movie, uh, the first movie, we obviously see Scott go from convict to superhero. Second movie, it's kind of the same arc, he, but uh, he's he's trying to do the Ferris Bueller thing of like, I got to get back home so they don't think I've left my house arrest and they have no proof of it. Where this one is literally just Scott being like, hey, I'm a pompous prick now because I helped save the world from Thanos mm-hmm. and end the blip. And, oh, my daughter thinks I'm a prick. Okay, we go into the quantum realm, and now my entire arc is just protect Cassie at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> I my, my biggest frustration with character in this development was Hope. Um, I thought there was nothing with her. And I was like... Mm-hmm. It, like she was like they did nothing for her she she kicked she kicked ass like she she was always like just jumping in whenever she needed to like kind of at the end you know without no questions asked like her instincts are really great as like a fighter or warrior whatever you kind of want to compare it as but like absolutely no emotional connection to her at all in that movie and i've struggled with that with her for three movies now and that's kind of her character because she's a little bit of a um kind of tougher on the edges but that was really like at the end when they're kind of like saying like i love you kind of thing i was like i feel nothing (laughs) like it didn't there i didn't feel like there were any stakes in this movie at all um which didn't help nothing mm-hmm. at the end of the movie um and i but i think that there was i just had no emotion i i didn't feel connected emotionally to this movie and marvel has been so good at getting people to care about these characters and i don't think one person i really felt that kind of connection with in this movie which made it harder to watch i agree 100% because i think one of the the bigger pieces of the first two movies is scott's relationship with cassie Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously the first movie that's the heart and soul of the movie is he, he wants to do well so that he can see Cassie and he can be with Cassie. And then the second movie he gets to be with Cassie, but now he's jeopardized that because of his relationship with Hank and hope. And now in this one, the relationship is jeopardized because Hank and hope or no, I'm sorry, Hank and Cassie have been working in secret on a quantum realm beacon uh, so they can map the quantum realm and it like it freaks out Janet who is not telling anyone anything until she needs to, <laughs> even though there are plenty of opportunities, but she's just like, not right now. No, we can't right now. We got to move. Also, also we came back from the movie on, on FXX that night, they were playing Ant-Man and the Wasp. They just happened to be, and it was like the last like 20 minutes. So we turned it on and I, I was reminded of the end credit scene that they literally send Scott into the quantum realm willingly. So she's all mad at the beginning of this movie. Like, how could you be working in the quantum realm? I told you not to. And it's like, ma'am, you set Scott down to the quantum <laughs> realm and he got stuck. Like, 
that was a continuity error that I was like, that's kind of odd that if she's so against it, doesn't want to talk about it, think about it. I'm like, well, you guys willingly like we're experimenting on that. So that doesn't really make any sense. That's a great point. Cause yeah, she, <laughs> she was just like, yeah, let's, let's go harvest some particles from the quantum realm to help our friend. <laughs> right. Right. But I do feel bad for her because I thought mid-movie, I was like, oh man, this woman was down there for 30 years, came back for what, a month and immediately got blipped for five years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rough. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were talking about that in our Black Panther review with uh, T'Challa. Like he got blipped, gone for five years, comes back and gets some kind of incurable disease that right. not even his Black Panther abilities can heal from. Like, right. ooh, like there's some heartbreak happening here. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that my wife, Ricky pointed out that, um, I didn't connect the dots on was, uh, when they, we were getting that narration from Scott reading his book in the first part of the movie, he's talking about, look out for the little guy is the, the last line, which obviously is meant to be ironic since he's Ant-Man. Um, but the, the premise of the movie should be that Scott learns to look out for these citizens of the quantum realm that have been oppressed by Kang. But it's Cassie is the one who's always pushing that development. And Scott never actively is fighting for the quote unquote little guys. He's mm -hmm. always fighting to protect Cassie. And I think that's, again, where that, that character development flaw is coming in because they're they're so focused on Scott's devoted to his daughter, even mm -hmm. though at a certain point they connect and they're just like, yeah, let's be superheroes together. We're, we'll be ant, the ant family and do all these sort of things. But Scott is never actively like Viva La resistance. And he he's always just protect Cassie. Cassie's fighting. She's doing great, but I'm going to be there keeping an eye on her. Whereas Cassie is like, OK, we're helping people. We're doing good work, which is what she wants to do. She wants to see her dad be a hero. And Scott is, in my opinion, in this movie, he's not ever actively a hero. Mm -hmm. He's only ever being a protector. That's a, that is a really great point, especially because as somebody, I mean, his original character was always like, I don't steal from people that need it. Like I steal from big corporations and, you know, I'm a thief for, you know, people that don't need it. So for him to just not even emotionally connect in this movie to what she's passionate about is kind of even just not like him, what we would think to be him at all. Anyways, the fact that he's just worried about Cassie and getting back home um but i, I do want to praise katherine newton as the new cassie um even though she was cast specifically for this movie she wasn't in endgame uh with the cassie we saw there um i do think she did a pretty good job alex didn't like her uh he he said some unkind things that aren't awful <laughs> but i'm still not going to say them because i don't think they're true uh it's his opinion not mine mm -hmm. um i thought she was she was really good i liked that she had kind of evolved a relationship with Hank where she calls him grandpa Hank. Although the timeline again is really weird because she knew him for two years ish, maybe, but they never really spent a whole lot of time together right. because <laughs> Hank and hope were on the run after the events of Ant-Man. And then he was <laughs> blipped for five years and now he's back for another two, but we're, we're on grandpa territory. Yeah, that's a fair point, especially if they're doing it behind Scott's back. So it can't, they can't be hanging out that often. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of, kind of odd. Another, another thing that I thought was really odd, an odd choice 
was we didn't see any of Scott's crew in this. I was really surprised we didn't see, even in the beginning, I was half expecting to see a Luis like storytelling in the beginning. I think that would have been a better way to begin the movie, to open it. Luis doing a book reading or Luis doing, uh, if he had gotten paid to do the foreword for Scott's book, I think that would have been great. (laughs) Yeah. Like something, some, one of Luis's like signature things, like, like I'm really surprised they didn't even have those guys show up at any point just for a cameo because they obviously aren't part of the main story. That one was, that choice of was an interesting choice. I'll say that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I didn't even have time to think about the fact that we didn't see the crew. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's because, um, oh, geez, the, the Baba Yaga guy, um, he ended up going to D.C. to be Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad. So I wonder if he is just too noticeable to be a D.C. Marvel guy now. Mm. Yeah, a little bit of too much. Can't can't have your feet in both camps. Exactly. Or at least noticeably. Yeah. Um, oh, well, according to this, it says he was in there. David Dasmalchian, that's him. Um, IMDb says he's there. I don't know where. Because I thought that oh, I read. That, it must have been in that opening montage uh, because we see that the, the card flip thing with Jimmy Woo, too. Yeah, I remember Jimmy Woo being in there, but I do not remember seeing any of the crew members. But maybe I'm maybe I blinked and missed it. Yeah. So I, I think it's is one of those just uh you blink and you miss it kind of cameos during that opening montage of like my my life's so great. I'm Scott Lang. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh one thing that actually came to mind uh, when I was thinking about it after having seen the movie Thursday night is that Scott's a guy that has like a mechanical engineering degree or some kind of like MIT level degree. And we never really see him be smart. And we still don't see that in this movie either. Everything that's done scientifically or smart or intelligently is done by Cassie, Hank, or Kang, really. And then uh, we do have Modoc in this movie, which we'll we'll talk about here in a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, yeah, and Janet, she does a lot of that. But yeah, it's yeah, that is kind of interesting. I, I haven't really thought about that because we see a little bit of his his intelligence, especially in the first Ant Man. What comes to mind is him breaking into that safe. Um, kind of la- like acting on his feet last, you know, just natural, I don't know, intelligence. And um, yeah, we don't really, we don't really see that at all because, and they build him in like, obviously he's kind of the comic relief because it's Paul Rudd, but they lean heavy into it at times. And that's obviously been a big complaint. I know a lot of people had issues with Love and Thunder because of that. There was just too much of the comedy. And I feel like they've just built up Paul Rudd to be that guy. And they've kind of transformed, he, like, I don't, like, kind of how we said it, he's not the same Ant-Man that he was in Ant-Man. Yeah, and I, I think that is kind of a, a detriment, because he he does have a moment in Endgame where he he proposes the time travel heist and the, the ability to time travel. He just doesn't have the wherewithal and the technology mm-hmm. to do it. And then the minute they hand that responsibility off to Tony Stark, he's back to being comic relief. He's just right. a guy that's like, uh, we only have the pin particles, that's it. He he's just monitoring everyone's pin particle usage and uh, he doesn't ever really get a chance to be smart, which we've seen in the Ghostbusters movie that he can play a smart guy. That's also charming. So it's mm-hmm. it's a weird choice, uh, but let, let's get into MODOK or the <laughs> machine only designed for or what, what I'm forgetting what the acronym is um, now. I'm going to Mecha- Google it. Mechanic, mechanized <laughs> organism designed only for killing something to that effect. 
mechanical organisms. I don't know. It's something organisms. There's a couple of di- there's a couple of different ones according to Wikipedia. Mental, mobile, or mechanized. So mechanized, I think, is what they said. Mechanized organism designed only for killing. Yes, correct. Nailed it. <laughs> Which I do remember in the uh, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon, uh, they changed Modok to Modok with a K to Modok with a C, and he's designed only for conquest because. Even back in like 2011, you couldn't say kill on TV in a children's cartoon. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I do. <laughs> I do get it a little bit. <laughs> maybe maybe we don't want. Well, I guess I don't know how, how young we were aimed at. But um, yeah, this was. So I Monty, who is um, on the, one of my co-hosts and I'm, I'm he's I, I co-host with him on Last Call Lambo and watch his stuff. That's kind of how we cross paths and started watching stuff. And um so he watched it on Thursday night and immediately like I text, he's in Arizona. So I got out of the movie first because my movie was sooner because I'm on the East coast. And so I immediately texted him and said, text me when you're done. I just have so many thoughts. And he immediately was like, Modoc ruined the movie for him completely ruined, like almost the entire movie. And I didn't feel that way, but I don't, I'm not familiar with Modoc in the comics. So I got some insight from him that he is kind of a comedic character, but I'm like, I don't, like that i just think he's supposed to be menacing and he was not at all like maybe the first 10 seconds we see him he slices somebody in half or something but beyond that he doesn't kill anybody um yeah he's pretty bad at what he's designed for (laughs) right right i and then the character flip hated absolutely hated that he had to have some redemption arc Mm -hmm. ruined it i wanted cassie to kick his ass (laughs) Yeah, I I think he needed to be beat up more than he needed to be redeemed because there there's no reason for it. Like uh, the visual effects aside, I thought his quote unquote battle mode looked great. Mm -hmm. But when when he lifted up the, the helmet and you just see this really badly produced giant head in this casing like. Yeah, it, it looks I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Zola. Um, he's the the TV that uh, Steve smashes in the Winter Soldier. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. In the comics, he's a giant robot with just like a camera for a head and he's got a TV in his chest and you just see his mm-hmm. face on there. And that's kind of what the visual I expect for that, where yeah. the TV, where the face is all stretched out and like a 2D plane on a TV. Mm-hmm. The, this effect just was bad i don't know who thought that that was like yeah good enough produce it for a a multi-million dollar movie that we're hoping makes 750 to 1 billion dollars in the box office it was terrible it it looked awful i audibly laughed when when he took like took off his battle mode or it was just a comedic I don't think it was meant to be comedic, but I laughed because I was like, this is ridiculous. It looks terrible. But like you said, his battle mode, he looked really great. I thought the the gold like kind of cast looked really nice. But yeah, it it immediately ruined the character. And then and I don't I guess I give them kudos for trying. I, I just I would have more felt like maybe you should have just not had him in this movie because I feel like he added nothing. Um, I don't think he was a big enough threat because, like I said, he didn't kill anybody. Um, one of my biggest issues with Love and Thunder was that we had the God Butcher and we saw him butcher one person. And it was in the beginning of the movie. And so it didn't make him menacing enough for me. 
um, because I thought he looked menacing, but didn't feel menacing. Cause I was like, what has he done? He killed one guy. Like it doesn't feel as a person watching that he was terrifying. And that's how I feel about Modoc. was I felt like he needed to be more menacing because that's, I, I should have been scared when he was like chasing Cassie, but it's like, okay, <laughs> just all right. Run away from little baby legs, like whatever. Yeah. I know it's a, a more modern I guess we could take it a little further back, but I was going to, I was going to compare it to like, it should feel something similar to what we did with Mithrigan or Megan, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Right. Uh, where it's, it's weird and creepy, but also kind of humorous. Yeah. Uh, like you can do that with child's play and everything too, where you've just got this tiny little doll chasing after a person where like mm-hmm. you're, this, if you were just someone watching this happening on the street, you're like, that looks weird. Yeah. Uh, but like in the moment, if you're the person getting chased, like you're, you're scared shitless. Mm-hmm. But this, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, he, he served, the only purpose he served was to have Kang, like show us how powerful Kang is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he got pushed around and that he was basically shown that he was Kang's little bitch. Right. Exactly. And that was, that was it. He, he didn't really do anything overly menacing. He crashed their ship, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he serves no other purpose. And then I, I I'm guessing someone in the writer's room was like, wouldn't it be funny if we had Darren come back and he thought he was going to be, he, he was going to die an Avenger. And then Mm -hmm. they just worked backward from that. Cause I, I don't, I don't know what else besides having Modoc in the, the movie. I don't know why else they would have almost anything that they did in there. Listen, when he did his little dying moment, I literally was like, all right, I'm going to go to the bathroom right now. I have to pee. <laughs> so I, I, cause I thought it was so stupid. The whole don't be a dick thing. Um, and then him changing and I'm not being a dick. And like, I, it just was awful. And and then he started to like have his like dying monologue as they always do. And I was like, all right, this is the perfect time to go to the bathroom because I do not care what like this, like what, what this, this scene is about. Yeah. Because it just, it, it, it took it takes you out of the moment, which is something that Marvel had normally been really good at. But I think they've struggled with like Thor, Love and Thunder really struggled with that, like where things start to get serious and then they have to throw a joke in. And it's like and when I talk about how I felt there were no stakes, there was always something that pulls you out of this serious moment. Things start to feel serious, um, you know, Kang and his little force field and then all of a sudden here comes darren you know making this like joke about i'm not a dick or something it, like it it just pulls you out of this like really intense moment it just kills it kills it speaking of that moment where uh modok darren comes in and uh helps save the day uh it was, it was a very family guy moment because there there were a few things that happened in that that sequence where it's just like too long of a moment where they're like, it's going to circle back to being funny. We promise mm-hmm. it'll be funny. The the fifth time around where he's like right. sputtering out fluid of some kind. And <laughs> like what, what kind of fluid is in that giant cranium? Who knows? <laughs> right. um, and then he like brings his tiny little robotic hand up to Scott's face. And it's just right. like, you were like a brother to me. Right. I, I chuckled at the hand going to the face. And then he's like, you were like a brother to me. It's like, okay, no, you, you lost me. Yeah. Like if, if they could have just left that moment silent with the hand touching the right. face and just let Paul Rudd do some face acting with like, this is, this is awkward. Right. Like that would have been great. I think that would have been fine, but you, you needed to cut down him sputtering out his cerebral fluid. I don't know. <laughs> right. And you needed to cut back on him 
dying like that. It, it, it just went on for too long. And it, it, it reminded me of family guy, which uh, that's a complaint I had about guardians too, is that some jokes went way too long and they weren't funny. And mm. it just took me out of the moment. And it, it kills the heart of that movie for right. me, which I, I don't know that this movie has a lot of heart like guardians two does, but it, it, it's setting up Kang. That That's the main thing that right. it's doing is it's setting up who Kang is or what Kang is and how big of a threat he can be. Right. And to your point about heart, I think they had a really good opportunity, like multiple times, a good opportunity to set up stakes in some sort of way that we feel how terrifying Kang is. And I don't feel like I got that. I mean, you sort of got it when um, he's like, beating the crap out of Ant Man. Like that was like hard to watch. Um mm-hmm. he's just completely beating the crap out of them. And, and, and they, that's without his suit either. His suit right, has been destroyed at that point. So right. he's just overpowering him. Right. And I and I thought there were like three different ways that I thought this was going to go and it did not go any of the ways that I think it should have. Um you know nobody nobody died. I thought somebody should have died. Um particularly I really thought throughout the whole movie, they were going to set up Janet sacrificing herself at the end. Like when they were going through a portal, like her saying like, no, you guys go because it's not going to last for like, there was something that she was going to end up still stuck down there or die or something was going to happen to her because it was her like redemption moment because she had kind of put them in this situation because she had not told anybody about him and all of this stuff. So she was part of like, I thought that was setting it up because she clearly felt a lot of guilt. Um, and then I thought that um, Hope and Scott were going to end up stuck down there because when Kang like quote unquote dies, though we don't probably don't think he is, but um, he gets kind of, he destroys that. Um, I, I don't know that portal, I guess. So they can't get back. And I was like, Oh, that would actually be like a huge thing. And it was like this really intense moment of them just saying like, we're down here. Like, and I was like, oh my God, this is like an intense ending. And then nope, they they went back. And then I thought maybe Scott might die saving Cassie kind of a thing because that would be his ultimate sacrifice. And as we said, his ultimate arc through these three movies would be everything's about his daughter. So I thought that would be the third option. And instead, nobody dies, everybody happy ending. I was just like, okay, <laughs> I wish something different would have happened. When Alex and I did our big trailer episode back in like September, October, Mm -hmm. uh, he was talking about how he, he wanted a happy ending because Marvel is fairly well known for doing pretty big stakes on the third movie where someone Mm -hmm. dies, uh, something big Mm -hmm. happens, someone loses something. And, uh, in, in like the third Captain America, he loses his freedom in the third Iron Man, he loses his house. Um, so like there, there, there's stakes in, in certain places. And with this one, I, I thought it was going to be Hank, honestly, because he, he basically served to be comedic relief for the entire thing. Right. And I was like, oh, he's going to get washed uh, for serenity reference for for those that know that now. Because <laughs> um, he, he literally was just there to, to put a pin on a joke like Cassie's like, there's a suit. And he's like, oh, there's no suit. You're a dumbass. What's happening now? <laughs> right. And uh, like. Oh, you had sex with Bill Murray? How? How? What's happening here? Oh, I'm putting my hands in these weird tuby tentacle monsters. <laughs> and then, like, uh, th- this movie, this movie got me a few times thinking something was going to happen because there's that trope in movies where 
like there's a long lingering shot and then something someone like gets shot from something off screen or mm-hmm. an explosion happens and someone gets hurt and th- this movie did it like three or four times where i'm like okay uh William Jackson's going to get killed because you can't have a telepath. They're going to ruin everything. Right. Uh, nope. Everything's fine. He's flying off in his giant dildo t- building. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the, you can't, I know you can't it, put that in a movie. It's, you can't make it. Right. You had to make it flesh colored. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, and there's that moment where Hank brought the ants and he brought his dino rider ants and I'm like, he's just sitting there and I'm like, oh, this is where he gets shot. Mm-hmm. No. OK. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, when the, you have the lineup of them going through the portal, Scott's the last one through or Scott and Cassie are the last ones through. And I'm like, OK, Cassie's either getting shot or Scott's getting left behind like that. That has to happen. And then like they have that long lingering moment. I'm like, maybe not. Scott's looking back and he's like all triumphant. And I was like, okay, I guess movie over. And then he, we, we see him push Cassie. It's like, okay, at least they did something, but like it, it almost fooled me for like four or five times that the, the something was going to happen and it never did. So at least it, it left me a little surprised in that moment. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't think Scott was going to die just because they, the, the most recent trailer, um, I think it was like during, I don't know. It was during something, an NBA game or I don't know. It was being really, Oh, it was, I think the, the NFL championship or something like that. It was being released. And I was just like, okay, like I watched this game just so I could watch the new trailer. And it basically made it seem like Ant-Man was going to die. He's all bloody. And he says like, we both just have to lose. And I'm like, they're pushing too hard that he's going to die. There's no way at that moment. I thought maybe he was going to die when I first saw the first trailer, but then that other one came out and I was like, there's no way they're going to make it seem like he's dying and then kill him off. They're dead. So I definitely didn't think that was going to happen. I just kind of, I didn't want him to die, but I just feel like something needed to happen. If we're talking about introducing Kang into like this big, like as like a fighter instead of just, you know, he who remains the, the conqueror. I thought for sure somebody needed to lose something. Yeah, they they definitely dropped the ball on creating stakes for this. Like they they did a pretty good job of establishing Kang as a threat, but they they didn't do a good enough job of establishing stakes for the movie. And you're 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 going for the movie. You're not going for a middle chapter in the next waiting for the next thing to come out. Like I know that's what the MCU is. It's a it's a long form TV show that's got two plus hour episodes. Right. But you you still want a compelling arc, which is my complaint for the new star Wars trilogy is that each movie is built on the idea that there's going to be a next one, or at least the, uh, the force awakens is. And that's where I have my issues with that one. With this one, it, it very much is like, here's the setup. We're going to put the pieces kind of in place. So you, you know where we're going because it felt very reactionary. Cause one of the big things on the internet that we've seen through phase four is, a bunch of stupid people who don't understand context or subtext don't understand when they say stuff like incursions or multiverse or anything like that, that, Oh, we're building towards a multiverse issue. Cause like, I, I will admit I got a little excited when they, they talked about incursions again. I think they mentioned it in multiverse of madness and it just, that's, that's a, a catchword that gets me excited. Having read secret wars and uh, the John Hickman Avengers books, like that's, that's got me excited to see what they're building towards if they keep mentioning this. Cause the, the incursions are going to be uh, 
what the infinity stones were for the previous chapter in the MCU. The incursions are going to become more and more important as these next few phases go on, I think. I have not read the comics, so I don't fully, and I don't remember this from Multiverse of Madness. Are incursions like like Wanda getting the dark hold? Like, is that the kind of thing that they're talking about? From the comics, uh, and I think through context, uh, incursions are when timelines and realities, when they collide. Oh, okay. Oh, 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 right. Okay. So now I, re- I know what you're talking about. When like that one is like kind of dissolving in. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I believe it's meant. Okay. It, yeah. And in a uh, multiverse of madness, I think that's meant to imply that they have, there, there's been an incursion and Dr. Okay. Strange is the only one keeping it from being fully immersed. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, so yeah, in, in the infinity or I'm sorry, the, in the secret war storyline, there's two universes left, uh, which is Miles Morales universe, the ultimate universe, and then the mainline MC, uh, Marvel universe. And, uh, those are the last two standing and Dr. Doom kind of does some weird magic to make a new battle world, which is just a stitched together world of realities where you got like zombie Marvel and, uh, a force Marvel and all this other stuff, which I don't think they're adapting that specifically because I think Kang is going to serve that Dr. Doom role. But, uh, I think it, again, it's just a catchword that like infinity stones or infinity gauntlet, it's going to perk up the the ears of the nerds like me with <laughs> who have like some insight on certain things. It's like, Ooh, in- incursions. We're going to see alternate realities. Yeah. And I think I was expecting more multiverse, discussions in this i don't know because my boyfriend and i also watched like what if leading up to this and um just in case we were like i just want to remember everything that i've kind of learned about the multiverse in the mcu through through right now so that was why we watched that and that didn't end up being particularly helpful (laughs) but um still glad we did it because uh i kind of half-assed watched it because i didn't realize that it was actually going to be kind of relevant i thought it was kind of more of a kid's show and it's not (laughs) so because i thought oh it's a cartoon so i thought it was just aimed towards a younger audience and kind of half-assed watched it when i was hungover one one sunday yeah i'm i'm not sure that multiverse or not multiverse um what if is going to serve any greater purpose other than just like a a nice little literally what What if if series (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and i think I, i still think what most excited me about this movie which is kind of sad was the post credit the mid credit and the post credit were both really really exciting i left like beaming after seeing those yeah um i haven't verified the the identity or the who the third kang is supposed to be I, there there's obvious ones with like immortus and ramatut um but i think the most commonly uh mentioned one is the scarlet centurion which um I don't how much do you know about Kang and who he is and like where he's from? Um I mean I which is part of the good thing that I watched Loki because um obviously he who remains kind of told his story a little bit very vaguely but other than that not really much um Monty and I were texting for a while on Thursday <laughs> while he was kind of going over that that scene the the council of kangs and stuff and kind of um giving me more insight um but very very little I don't know a ton about it. Okay. Um, so 
Kang is uh, Nathaniel Richards, who is a, a very late descendant of Reed Richards. Yes, Mr. he did Fantastic. tell me that, which blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, which I, I do think that with the casting of Jonathan Majors, they are trying to prepare us to have a black Reed Richards in the MCU, which I think is absolutely fine. Yeah, that should go over well with a lot of people, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exciting. I'm game. I do think that uh, what's oh, I lost his name, William Jackson Harper who plays Chidi Anagonye in The Good Place, and he's the the telepath in this movie, I think he would have made a fantastic Reed Richards. Like, he has that MCU charisma, which we saw in this. Um, but, I, I mean, I'll, I'll trust who they cast in this. Uh, well, maybe they will, because um, they did that with uh, Gemma Chan. Uh, Gemma Chan, yeah. Gemma Chan, yeah. Um, yeah. She was in Captain Marvel and in... The Eternals, I think. I can't remember the Eternals. I don't know what the <laughs> hell I watched. So maybe she's in there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. The only thing I really remember is uh, they had an evil Superman and there's uh, uh, a Celestial still sticking out of the Pacific Ocean. Yes. And there was a sex scene. That was the big thing. I don't even remember thing. the sex scene. I remember someone mentioned that. I'm like, there's a sex yeah, scene. Yeah. Because they made a big deal about it like being like the first like MCU sex scene that we got. And it was like, you put it in the most forgettable movie. <laughs> 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 and it apparently is quite forgettable as well. Right. Was it good for you? What? <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, Kang is a, a descendant of Reed Richards, which I, I think that they are setting up a, a black Reed Richards awesome. with uh, Kang being a, a black actor and Jonathan Majors, who is fantastic. Um, I loved him as he who remains. I think he did a really good job in the multiple Kang roles that he played in this movie. And then uh, each variant has their own story, really. Like uh, Ramatut, I believe, went back to like ancient Egypt to set up his uh, timeline towards Kang's eventual conquest. Uh, in the second post credit scene, we get um, Victor Timely, who basically does the same thing. Uh, he just, Kang goes back in time uh, to like the very first day of 1901 and, uh, uh, founds a small town in Wisconsin and becomes mayor and just like sets up his path to becoming a conqueror. So I think that's where Loki season two is going to go. They're going to set up Victor timely as their big bad and uh, Loki will eventually take care of him as well. Yeah. That was really exciting to see um, Tom Hiddleston and uh, Owen Wilson. That was really yeah. awesome. I was not expecting that. <laughs> there, there were some gasps in my theater where uh, some people clearly forgot that Loki was alive in some variation. Uh, so oh. I, I do wonder if that's something that they're building towards with secret wars as well as if they will bring back Loki in some way for that event. I would think that they will. I mean, I've had this theory for a while. I think they're going to bring back the original six in some form I, like that. Just, I don't think they're, I think they, and I think they should, because I think everyone is, especially right now, really missing all of these original characters um, because they've not been impressed since Endgame, at least from what I've heard. Um, and I think it would be really cool. Little cameos, even if it's just 20 seconds that they're in there just to like give everybody the nostalgia. I think that would just like make the movie for a lot of people. Yeah. The one thing I don't want is um, Nazi Captain America. <laughs> i i hate yeah. that arc by nick spencer with a passion i think it is i think it's bad storytelling and i think it's also just extraordinarily disrespectful to yeah jack kirby and uh 
Joe Simon created Captain America, both of whom are Jewish. So making him uh, a fascist Nazi. That would be terrible. Yeah. And like, I know that's something that a lot of people want to see because they like edgelord nonsense, but it's, it's not an arc. I think that needs to be done. If, if they're going to do it, I think it'll be done in secret wars where they'll have him say hail Hydra or something and he'll get taken care of about as quickly as the the variants did in Multiverse of Madness, where they're just there for quick fan service. Right, exactly. So yeah, Immortus, Ramatut, and Scarlet Centurion were like the big three, uh, mm-hmm. as far as we can tell from the the Council of Kangs, and then we get uh, a shot of a, an entire stadium of Kangs just like going nuts, uh, just so excited to see each other and be in the same arena with each other for a moment. Uh, that, that was pretty chaos. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we see some interesting variants where like there's one that is fully blue, not just with the visor. Uh, there's one that looks like a bug, mm-hmm. um, and then there's just a bunch of them that look like Jonathan Majors. But um, I mean, swoon. Who cares? An entire stadium full of Jonathan Majors. Dang. Yeah. Uh, no complaints here. Um, I've seen those Creed trailers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What um, Monty pointed out to me as well, he said that because um, he's the one that told me about the Reed Richards descendant, um, which, like I said, blew my mind because I, I, I'm i not familiar with the comics or the Fantastic Four, really. I've not watched those original movies. I've been told that I probably would not enjoy <laughs> them. I think it'd make um, a good watching stuff. Episode. <laughs> yeah. Usually the bad movies are the best episodes because it's just us ripping the movie for an hour. Um, but he pointed out that all the Kings like entered the council in the same way that Reed Richards did in multiverse of madness, like using the same like technology. Mm. Um, and I don't remember. So like, I wasn't paying attention to like that, but Monty immediately pointed that out. And I was like, Oh, like that is one thing that Marvel does really well is they take care of the details as much as they can. Um, and that just even one little thing like that is just kind of a cool little, um, you know, continuity thing that they do. Um, so that's kind of my notes. Was there anything else that kind of stuck out to you? I do have one more thing, but it's more just kind of like a one-off reference. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Um, I think it was a disappointing start to phase five just because I think, like I said, the trailers really hyped it up to be this dark, like intense, like all the stakes. And I didn't feel, I didn't leave the theater feeling that way. Um, but I still don't think it's as bad as critics are saying. I think that's it was very much in line with an Ant-Man movie. Well, probably like Ant-Man and the Wasp. It felt very much like the same kind of journey. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the only other thing I have to, to mention that was in my notes was when uh, Scott showed up to rescue Cassie in the big fight at the end. He shows up as giant man with Wasp on his shoulder. And mm-hmm. my immediate thought was... Dragon Zord Scott, because <laughs> she's just sitting there like about the size of Tommy on the Dragon Zord. <laughs> and it just it made me laugh. And I was like that that I know it's Ant-Man and he's supposed to be kind of goofy, but you're not supposed to be reminding me of Power Rangers right now. Right. Yeah, that that is really funny. Um, I, I thought what was a little weird now because now I've gotten off topic is Cassie being big and like not really having any sort of side effects like yeah she's, like, just, she's like oh i really want a lime or something and right like, oh yes like citrus like he literally passed out and almost drowned in Ant-Man and the wasp like it just is a little like okay it's just a, a few little things that just didn't really make a lot of sense but it was kind of a fun moment you know them hugging is big that was cute but then i was like 
eh, I guess maybe she could just handle it a little better. Yeah, and uh, going back to it, uh, just because you you brought it up, a, a lot of this movie is about Scott trying to find common ground with Cassie, like reforging that bond that they have. Because mm-hmm. there's like a moment when uh, they're both being held by Kang uh, before we get some bad Modoc stuff, um, <laughs> where he's like, "Oh, this is your third time in prison. This is my fourth. And, right? Uh, like they're they're clearly trying to reestablish a bond, which I guess is part of the point of the movie, which that Citrus moment is supposed to kind of reinforce like hey they're superheroing together and that bond is stronger than ever and like nah. like it doesn't feel the same as an, a genuine bond <laughs> yeah and, and like cassie's suit is very clearly not built to go big because she had to put that shrinky disc inside her regulator right. so like she she should have had those ant-man 2 and civil war side effects where like she needs she needs some like electrolytes or something right Right. I, I kind of told my boyfriend, he's like, well, maybe like it's in the quantum realm. So it's different. I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> You'd like stop retconning it. That's like it doesn't matter. for everything. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I think it goes, it go, does go back to kind of what we said is I just feel like I felt there were not a whole lot of emotional connections that I made with anybody. I felt more of a connection to the guy that was obsessed with holes than I did with like hope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, like the emotional stakes, the only person that really dies on camera is the laser face guy. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, not laser face who has no name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that exactly. That's exactly what I meant. Like, there was nobody that you felt like really sad for. Uh, There's just no really low emotional moment that I felt that I was like, oh, man, I left this movie feeling like there was something tense that happened. I mean, the, the closest thing was um, probably Kang beating the crap out of Scott. <laughs> Which, I mean, that was, that was a very well done fight scene. It was, um, it was, that was, it's weird. It's kind of weird that that was like the high point of the movie, even though they try to have a lot of high points. Anything with Jonathan majors was a high point. He was fantastic. Like he was, he was really, really great. Um, I felt, I felt he kind of um, stole the show. But I don't think that was really hard to do because, like I said, there was just not a lot of anything. Everybody else was kind of flat for me. Yeah, the, the movie was built around Kang, like the entire first half of the movie until he shows up, which I, he might even show up at like the one hour mark, which this is like an hour and 10 minutes. Um, everything is like, oh, he's here. He, you don't want to bother him. He's him, him. He he they're they're talking cryptically about Kang. And then when he shows up, it's supposed to be this big deal. Uh, well, I, OK, we get a for the the nitpickers we see him at the very start of the movie and then janet tells a backstory uh but like the first time we see him as like kang proper is like an hour into the movie but yeah it 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 very much felt like they they just wanted something to show off kang and jonathan majors as kang and they just went okay here let's do this right Uh, and it is just unfortunately uh an ant-man movie that had to suffer for it like i think that's part of the reason why they they have been promoting the like quantum mania as heavily as they have because it's not necessarily an ant-man movie ant-man is just the hero in the story that's about kang right totally that makes it makes a lot more sense so we'll leave it at that because that was a fairly decent thought yeah (laughs) so uh we will start off by sharing our socials you can follow me on twitter at josh underscore scar you can follow the podcast at talking smack pod please join our discord we have a lot of fun discussions there 
You can email the podcast if you have thoughts, reviews, anything. Uh, you're reading a comic book you enjoy or you want to start reading comics and you want some recommendations. We'll, we'll, we can do that in the Discord or we can do that via email. Uh, thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes. I didn't give the email. Sorry. Uh, you can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Uh, thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes. Thank you to Beppo for all of our original avatars and Retro Ale Studios for our Ricky avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. And Aaron Alice, please let us know where people can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at H-E-R-O-O-I-N-E. Uh, and you can follow all of my stuff will be posted there. <laughs> um, all the links in my bio or all the my bio has all the other accounts to follow where, where you can find all my work. But I, I mostly post it on my stuff anyway. So, yeah. And we will share those links in our episode description as well, because they are a lot of fun. And if you're <laughs> like me, where you're a big nerd and you're also a big Packer fan, Aaron's someone to follow. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hopefully people won't be disappointed. <laughs> uh, I was thinking of making an ex-boyfriend joke, but I, I'm oh. not sure how you spin that one, but that, that is one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite recurring themes of yours. Yeah. My brand um, is making fun of my ex-boyfriend and his um, shortcomings. We'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then your memes of Bender. And this time I mean it, those are always the best ones. Yes. Never drinking again. <laughs> so thank you again everyone for listening Aaron thank you again so much for making the time to be here to talk quantum mania with me and uh, hopefully we can hook up uh, let's not say hook up again uh, <laughs> hopefully we can do this again soon yeah thanks for having me um, we'll have to have you on watching stuff at some point I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll get you on an episode soon uh, that'd, be, that'd be appreciated uh, <laughs> not necessary but I, I love hanging out and talking nerd shop obviously <laughs> so thanks again everyone Thanks again, Aaron. Take care. Watch Star Trek.